Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Edit Your Life podcast. I'm Christine Coe. And I'm Asha Dornfest, and we're here to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. We share practical ways to declutter your home schedule and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. And we believe that baby steps are the key to getting there. Hello, friends. Christine here, and I have a very, very special guest, the tour de force, Julie Lithgott-Hames. Hi, Julie. (laughs) I love that. Hi, Christine. I mean, Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, of course. And why not have an enthusiastic welcome? You are a tour de force. (laughs) Wow. You know, we uh, we just got a Peloton and my husband is putting on his biking shorts and it makes me think of the Tour de France. So I'm going to be telling him that he may be doing the Tour de France, but I am a Tour de Force. Yes. Yes, of course. Well, so I have really gotten to know you just over the past year. Sort of this this has been one of the uh, boons of the pandemic, I suppose. (laughs) And um, it's been a delight. And I'm I've just been the more I've gotten to know you, the more impressed I've been. And then Hmm. I was so delighted that you said yes to coming on the show because you have a new book coming out (laughs) this spring and it's incredible. So I wanted to and you have this like fascinating backstory. So I was hoping that you. you could introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background and your sort of um, very interesting path to um, just tell our listeners who you are. Wow, Christine, thank you so much. You're so kind. I've been uh, equally impressed with with who you are and how you are and how you show up in the world and all of the innumerable things you seem to accomplish in a day and a week and a month across this life. So I'm. it's been a delight to get to know you. And I'm just really, I just feel lucky to get to be on your podcast. So yeah, um, introducing me to your readers, your listeners. Um, <clears throat> I am a 53-year-old black biracial queer woman in a marriage to a cisgender man. Um, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, Palo Alto, to be precise. I have a 21-year-old son named Sawyer, an uh, 19-year-old daughter named Avery. My 82-year-old mother is also part of our daily life. We co-own a home here. That's how we afford uh, to live in a very expensive place. We went in on a house with my mom, and that's going to be the subject of my fourth book. Um, I was a corporate lawyer. I grew up around the United States, uh, born out of this country, moved to New York when I was two, 
then Wisconsin, then Virginia, back to Wisconsin, all white high school, really bad experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was the only kid of color, uh, came to Stanford, went to law school um, back east, practiced corporate law for a while, became a university administrator, ultimately the freshman dean at Stanford, which is what led me to write my first book, How to Raise an Adult on the Harm of Overparenting. And here I am talking with you about my third book. And the second book was a book on the microaggressions and racism I experienced uh, as a black and biracial person growing up in predominantly white spaces. So I'm on my third career. I'm uh, living my best life. And uh, I'm uh, I'm really deeply interested in um, in each one of us making it. I'm mm. I feel mm-hmm. I'm an empath. I care deeply about humans. My work has always been about trying to help humans on their path. I'm rooting for all of us to be okay. And um, I try to lead with vulnerability and clarity and honesty to the extent I can bear it. And I believe in the power of our stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and and say out loud the um, the title of your your third book, because it is, you know, it is the anchor of our conversation today. Yeah, yeah. That book is called Your Turn. How to be an adult. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of riffing off of the first book, which was How to Raise an Adult. So, if the first book was for parents who, like me, were overparenting their kids, uh, this third book is for young adults, squarely for people who are 18 and over, 18 to 34, 18 to 59, 18 to whomever is still struggling with the concept of adulting. It's a very compassionate, frank, funny at times, vulnerable book about this thing we call adulting. It is. And I, you know, I'm somebody who firmly believes, you know, I'm very pro-therapy and I firmly believe that we all have work to do all the time. So, hey, yeah. I was picking up some nuggets of wisdom as I was, saying, as I was going yes. through. Well, let's start with vulnerability. You've mentioned that word a couple of times. I think about baggage pretty much all the time because I have a lot of it. And so- <laughs> Honestly, I was so moved by how you welcome readers into the journey straight up. Right in the introduction, Mm -hmm. you write, I decided the only way I could write this book was to drop any pretense of authority and instead lead with vulnerability. Talk to me about your thinking behind that decision and why it's so important to you. Yeah, Um, I struggled to write this book for three years. I had a contract in 2016 for two books, the the memoir on race, Real American, which was almost completed when I signed the contract. So that was easy. And uh, for a second book, which was a sequel, as we spelled it out, a sequel to the first book. Um, um, and I didn't know what we meant by a sequel. My editor didn't know what we meant. And we spent three years kind of off and on trying to figure out if we could see eye to eye on what a sequel for young adults might look like. and. Um, I think one of the big obstacles in my path was I didn't feel like an authority on adult life. So how am I going to write a book on a nonfiction subject about which I am not an authority? You know, I I became an authority on helicopter parenting unwittingly. I mean, I cared so much about young adults. I really dove into that topic and researched the heck out of it. And um, I felt I had some authority there. I was a university dean. You know, I was a mom in Silicon Valley. I was seeing it from both sides. But with this book on adulting, I thought, who am I? Who am I to tell anybody how to lead their life? Like, that's that's not how I approached deaning. It wasn't, these are the answers. This is the path. Choose this option. 
Um, instead, as a dean, with a lot of compassion and empathy for young adults, I was just trying to listen well to them, mm-hmm. listen for what they weren't saying about what they wanted as much as what they were saying. Um, I saw it as my job to elevate the minor. They'd say, I'm majoring in this because I have to, but I'm minoring in this. And their eyes would light up when they talked about their minor. And that was just the clearest evidence that they were doing what they thought they should instead of what they really wanted to do. So I ultimately realized, look, I'm not an authority on adulting. Who the heck is? Adulting is a phase of life between childhood and death. Hopefully many, many decades that are healthy and fulfilling. And um, yet it seems mysterious to millennials and perhaps older Gen Zs. They're the generation that said, I can't adult. I don't want to adult. I'm terrified of adulting. And so I just decided, look, I'm not an expert. However, I'm older. I have led more of this adult life than you. And I'm, the image in my mind is we're hiking. I'm up ahead. I have a sense of where the cliff is. I have a sense of where the, the path forks. You know, I have, I'm sort of up ahead. Maybe it's dusk. Maybe it's night. I'm shining a light back toward you to illuminate what you have ahead of you. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to tell people what to do. I'm just trying to come with stories and practical advice to show folks that there's no one way you get to choose it. You know, the path is made by walking, but here are some things you got to think about along the way. So once I dropped the pretense of authority and just led with vulnerability, then I could dive into the stories I wanted to tell about silly, stupid, painful, shameful things I've done, (laughs) uh, lessons I've learned to help folks realize, yeah, it's not about perfection. It's about learning and growing and figuring it out. And you will. And I'm I'm here rooting for you. Oh my gosh. So good. Well, we are gonna dig into the book. I have I have many questions for you about uh structure and specific chapters, but we'll do that after a quick break. Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, mysteries about true histories, also known as math. How smart is that? is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, friends, we are back with the wonderful Julie Lithcott-Hames, and we're talking about her book, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. And Julie, let's talk about book structure, which is something I'm a little obsessed with. Um, You talk about the old five markers of adulthood, which, man, when I read them, you know, like, finish your education, get a job, leave home, marry, have kids. I was like, wow, that sounds super simple, (laughs) and life is so much more complicated. So I'm curious, I would love to hear, you know, research-driven, experience-driven combination of both. You know, how did you come to develop the principles that are, the adulting principles that are reflected in the remaining chapters of your book? So the first thing I want to say is I had a similar struggle when I was writing my first book, How to Raise an Adult on the Harm of Overparenting. That is, I could see what was wrong in in some young adults, I could see what, what was missing, but there were no books written on. These are the milestones kids are, or young adults are supposed to have achieved. You have to dial all the way back to pediatricians telling you what your six month old and nine month old and, you know, one year old, 18 month old, et cetera. There were milestones way back then, but then childhood sort of filled in the rest and mm. taught kids skills and they developed agency and they developed resilience and they developed character and boom, they became adults. And so for when I was trying to unpack what was missing in young adults, I had a hard time excavating, well, what is an 18-year-old supposed to be capable of doing? What, you know, I and I looked around for outside of the community supporting people with significant developmental delays and disabilities there were, you couldn't find those milestones because mm-hmm. they were other, you know, so in terms of skills, um, you should be able to do this. You should be able to do that. It was really hard to find them. Similarly, with respect to adulting, we haven't spent a lot of time saying, you know, these are the tasks. Mm-hmm. These are the mindsets. Um, what I found in the literature was a whole lot of books that spell out the tips, 10 tips adulting mm-hmm. 468 tips 101 tips and i think the point that i try to make in this book is the tips the how to change your tire file your taxes drive a car those are things you can learn you can watch youtube videos to learn all of those things awesome what's missing in the literature that i that i hope i've made a contribution to with your turn is the two other aspects of adulting which are so there's there's the ha- there's the learning how to do the stuff that previously people have taken care of for you in childhood the other two components are wanting to adult mm. and having to adult <laughs> and those are the you know when you look at the five steps of you know the five definitions of adulthood from years gone by they were very transactional finish okay. your education get a job leave home marry and have kids um, it doesn't at all speak to why a person might want to do those things or not want to. It doesn't get to whether that person has to do those things or doesn't have to, which is really a function of wealth and privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
Um, I think what I realized was what's missing in many folks who are saying, I don't want to adult is, is the wanting to, they don't want to, they haven't been enticed to feel that adulting is awesome. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to, you know, when you and I were young, most of us were like, I can't wait to be an adult. Adult life looks so free, independent. (laughs) I can make my own choices, like whatever. Young people who grew up in the nineties, um, in the 2000s, they're like, I don't know if I want to be an adult. And so why is that? What's what's mm-hmm. missing in the I don't want to? And many don't have to if they're privileged and they're kind of handled and managed by a parent or a parent's employee. You know, you don't actually have to do it for yourself. Awesome, right? No, it's not awesome. It leads to the sense of learned helplessness, a psychological malaise. So I was, I'm really trying to get at these more... Um, like, where does the desire to actually walk your own path off leash, where does that come from? And why might you not have it? And how can I help you think through these various elements of adult life that might entice you to want to walk that path off leash? So I end up with these chapter headings, my long-winded way of getting to your answer, which is, you know, trying to sort of map out the various big things that adults got to pay attention to. Um, so I tackle perfectionists. I tackle fending. You got to be able to fend for yourself. That's that's sort of step one. Then perfectionism is this thing that really gets in the way and impedes us and makes us feel like losers and failures. And so that chapter is really about, no, it's all about learning and growing. And then there's the character chapter. You got to have a good character. You're going to interact with other humans um, in a way that facilitates your own goals, you got to have a good character and so, and so on and so forth. Um, I've got a huge chapter called stop pleasing others. They have no idea who you are. And the, and that chapter is both about work and about your personal identity. And some other author might've put those in completely different chapters, but I wove them together because at their heart is your own voice telling you, here's who I am. Here's why I'm on the planet. Here's what's authentic and true about me. Right, right. And the more we can listen to our own voice about those things, the more we can make choices in career and relationship and in community that are healthy for us rather than harmful. So those are some examples and, you know, 13 chapters in all. And yeah. That's the reason so I, much I good. It's, it's it the a way big I book. did. It <laughs> it's is a great. big book. Well, yeah. you, you mentioned two chapters that actually we had, had specific questions about. And one was the You're Not Perfect, the that mm-hmm. chapter, because I'm a recovering perfectionist. I love that Me I'm too. recovering. And, mm-hmm. you know, our listeners really love tactical, practical info. So I was wondering if you could just talk quickly about the five hacks that change, you know, fixed mindsets to growth mindsets. Yeah. So- Perfectionism is this mirage. It's shimmering out there like an oasis. We'll never reach it. And um, I'm just super clear on that in this chapter. And that instead, our life is meant to be about learning and growing. And the more we can take that learning, growing beginner's mindset, the more we can hack our own brains and kind of rethink it that way, the more healthy we will be and the more successful we will be because then we can learn. So um, the five hacks that change fixed mindset or perfectionism to growth is one R one change. I am perfect to, I am trying to get better at this Mm. Two change. I am smart to when I work hard at things, it pays off three change. This is hard to, I do hard things. Well, I love that one. 
I often say that to myself. Me too. Or <laughs> change I can't to I can take the first step and see what happens. Change and number five, change I am dumb to I haven't learned how to do this yet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So good. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Just, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But they, I mean, they're just I love the way you wrote them out because they're just they're so simple, but they're so, so powerful. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, you know, chapter five is stop pleasing others. They have no idea who you are. I just also you're very funny. Like, <laughs> so it's just it really even though there's a lot, you know, it's a big book. There's so much in it and it's really funny. So I just want to encourage people like, don't be daunted. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. But I love this chapter not just because it has a Venn diagram and I love Venn diagrams, but I was thinking a lot about this chapter because I imagine that this is one of the most challenging adulting principles to work on. You might disagree. I'm curious, but I think that because most of us have been conditioned for so much of our lives to please others, whether it's family or work or in relationships. So do you have like a, just sort of a quick thought about how to get started here beyond the vague sort of like guru advice, like tune out the noise, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, to go back to your original question about, um, you know, how I decided to lead with vulnerability and how I finally got this thing written. This is the first chapter I succeeded in writing. Oh, so it's chapter five out of 13, but it was yeah. really the after three years of failing when I wrote this chapter as a way to show my editor, this is what I think this book can contain and how it should be structured. It was this chapter. And it it was the easiest one for me because it is the most direct summoning of my deanly voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to help students with this very question that you've posed. Um, I do think there is a lot to that guru's, you know, tune out the noise advice because the noise in our heads of other people's expectations is loud. Mm. And when we're women and girls, we're taught to please others. We're taught to be self-deprecating. We're taught to serve. And, you know, those gendered norms are very real for many of us, regardless of our ethnicity and so on. It's our gender there that uh, can really get in the way or how people regard us because of our gender. Um, so the noise of you should, you must, mm-hmm. you know, in our family, we, we do this work and we love these people, you know, those are loud voices. And, and I, and I do speak to the language of voice because I know we also have an inner voice or that voice in our heads that we know is us, you know, that voice that screams, I want to do this, you mm-hmm. know, if it was just up to me, if nobody else mattered, if no one else was judging, I would do this. People can often answer that question really easily. And I always saw my role as dean and now my role as author kind of holding the reader's hand is, how can I help you listen for that truth that wants to be heard by you, within you? You know, it gets very woo-woo and meta, but it's, it's like, you know, many of us know what we want. Uh of this life we're just afraid to say it to ourselves let alone to anybody else and this chapter is really attempting to push on that um and often christine we are willing to hear that voice only when we've been pushed to our breaking point and we're miserable oh yeah so i was the miserable corporate lawyer who was well paid i had the fancy leather briefcase the fancy ann taylor suits 
being mentored, being given opportunity, Silicon Valley, you know, boom. And I was miserable. Uh And because it wasn't the work I was on the planet to do. And I had to figure all that out. And I detail that in this book, in this chapter. Um, 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 But it was that misery. It was that, my God, I don't think I can take much more of this. I have a knot in my stomach every Sunday, the thought of going back. My doctor is telling me I have high blood pressure only at work. You know, like... (laughs) In that misery, I was able to give myself permission to think differently. And I think my offering implicitly in this book is you don't have to wait to be miserable to make a shift. You don't have to wait to get cancer to realize what really matters in life. Like, could we, might we be capable of getting to the right choice before our toes are dangling off the edge into the abyss? Mm Mm-hmm. Listen, you and I, it's ridiculous, the parallels. I mean, because when I was just when I was leaving, making the decision to leave academia, you know, I was like you. I was just I was staying in it. It sounded so fancy, but my hair was falling out like I was so miserable. And, you know, in some ways, I feel like, you know, when we talk about kids needing to struggle more and just be challenged more and not sort of handheld as much. I do think there is something to clarity coming under duress, you know, and, and yeah. there's something kind of magical about that. And yeah. I do think if there's a way to do it without your heart, <laughs> your, your, your blood pressure going up, being, yeah. you know, through the roof and your hair falling out, then like do that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But see, we don't yet know that our needs are legitimate. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So we, we think we can only justify it to our parents, to our grandparents, to our peers, to our whomever we think is judging us. If we can say, well, my hair was falling out. Yes, like, right. Or right, I got a diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? We don't feel, it's like our pain is evidence of the legitimacy of our desire to do something else. And that's where so many of us are. And I think in this book, which is a very compassionate, very tender, very frank, sometimes funny um, offering, it's like, yo, you matter. You mm-hmm. so matter. What you think about your life and your wants and dreams are so valid. I am trying to tease it out of you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's very much where I am in this book. Mm. So, so good. All right. Well, Julie, we have more to discuss and uh, listeners hang in because we will return after a quick break. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff. 
but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay, welcome back, friends. We are talking about adulting. <laughs> and Julie, I have another chapter. Um, yes. I don't know what my chapter choices say about me of the ch different chapters, but yeah. I would love for you to share. <laughs> Roar <about> shark <laughs> test. <laughs> I know. For I feel sure. like something, some evaluation is happening here. Perfectionism. Stop pleasing others. Yes. What's the next one? <laughs> the next one is about strangers. You, you specifically oh. start talking to strangers. Chapter seven. I will admit I kind of laughed and cried a little at that title because I deeply value human connection. And unfortunately, this pandemic has made me very like untrusting of other people and their decision making. So I would just love to hear your perspective on human connection. Yeah. So before I get there, I just have to point out that if you're noticing for people who are paying close attention, who might already have the book in hand, I am trying to subvert childhood norms with these chapter headings. Mm -hmm. Right. That's an intentional when you think of when you talk to me about book structure, like what I call the chapters, who headlines the chapters in terms of the epigraph. All of these things are subtle contributors to the overall message of the book. And so, for example, you're not perfect. Why is that the chapter? Because they've been told you're perfect. You're perfect. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm saying, nope, you're not. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, start talking to strangers is, of course, directly subverting. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to strangers. So human connection. According to plenty of research, human connection is key to our survival. Um, the quality of our human relationships is what determines our longevity. The Harvard Grant Project, which has studied humans for decades, has kicked off this finding. There's a beautiful new book out on friendship um, by Lydia Denworth, which just is a scientific approach to why friendship makes us live, makes us laugh, makes us happy, and helps us survive. Um, so look, we're a social species, mm -hmm. and uh, we need each other. And that's just the plain, cold, hard truth of it. Um, and a lot of young adults were raised in a way that did not give them enough authentic, organic human connection. They mm. were connected to friends via play dates organized by parents. When they had disputes with friends, uh, teachers swooped in to mediate, manage, or parents did. Um, they have not had a lot of practice at just hanging out with other people their own age, unobserved, unattended, unhandled. And it has impeded, for many, their ability to be in relationship with other humans. Because guess what? Relationship entails uh, communication. It entails conflict. It entails feelings. It entails misunderstandings. On top of all the joy and wonder and awe and mutual wonderfulness that can come, 
right? We're, we're a complex species and understanding how to communicate behaviorally and in body language and, and actual language, you know, that's stuff we're supposed to be practicing in childhood. Well, an overmanaged childhood, a highly enriched, but childhood with not enough play has led to a whole lot of young adults who really don't know how to handle their fellow humans and who've been taught if someone loves me, they drop everything to serve me. They drop everything to bring mm. me my forgotten backpack. They argue with the coach for me. And now if you've been raised that way, you may think if I'm in relationship, if that person truly loves me, they just always take my side like my parents did. Well, no, mm -hmm. that's not how it works because that person has needs and fears and dreams too. And it's about cooperation and um, communication and sorting things out and establishing boundaries and needs. And so um, those two, the, the chapter um, start talking to strangers, humans are key to your survival, pairs well with the prior chapter, get out of neutral, um, which is about the ways in which you might be stuck and why you might be stuck. There's a lot in that chapter on these kind of themes or, or uh, patterns from childhood that may have undermined your ability to thrive in relationship, for example, um, in adulthood. So it's very, mm -hmm. there's a lot there, mm -hmm. but the point of the book is this really matters. Yeah. So, you know, practice, figure it out. And it goes back to the anti-perfectionism. It's not about being perfect at connecting with humans. It's about, all right, you know, the more I do this, the better I get. I'm not just going to, you know, leave my roommate, like break my lease when we have an argument. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and talk to the person and see if I can figure it out. And that's one of the stories at the end of that chapter on talking to strangers is somebody who really struggled with just dealing with regular roommate problems mm -hmm. and finally did the work. And, you know, now she knows how to handle it. Oh, so good. So good. All right. Well, the, the last main thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, I know we talked about kind of who this book serves and I mentioned that, you know, it's, it's serving me as well, even as a 47 year old woman. Um, you know, we have so many parents who listen to this show, obviously, Many, all of them are beyond exhausted and struggling under the prolonged weight of this pandemic. So I'd be curious about, you know, what your advice is to parents, you know, who want to raise adults, who want to be adults themselves, but just feel so overwhelmed with, you know, where to start. Yeah. Whether inside a pandemic or outside a pandemic, I think what is missing for us, who those of us who are raising kids is... We have abandoned a healthy adult life in favor of caretaking and curating our children mm. as if they are dogs on a leash that we're grooming for best in breed or best in show at the Westminster Dog Show. And that means we are not paying attention to our primary relationship if we have one. We're not paying attention to self-care. We're not going off and doing those delicious adult activities like the art gallery opening on Thursday night or the ball game on Sunday, because we've got a midterm the next day, mm -hmm. meaning our kid has a task and we've decided we have to attend to it so closely that we're doing that instead of living a healthy, vibrant adult life. So meta, no wonder so many young adults don't want to adult because we've made it look absolutely effing miserable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my offering to your listeners and to you and to myself is if you have a primary partner, figure out a way today to say, I love you so much. And I'm so glad I'm in this life with you. Figure out a way to say, Hey, how's your day going? 
and on a scale of one to 10. And no matter what they say, smile at them and say, is there something I can do to move it from a X to an X plus one, whatever they said, move it from a two to a three, move it from a 10 to an 11, whatever it may be. Like, go be kind Mm. to the person you love the most who is not your child and nourish that relationship so that you start to regain that sense of I am an adult. I am in relationship. If you're not in a relationship, reach out to your best friend. Reach out to a family member who knows you and gets you and never judges you. Like strengthen those adult bonds. They will help carry you through. So when the you know what is hitting the fan in your house because your kid didn't turn in their homework or the technology isn't working or that bill didn't get paid, you can look if you have a partner at that person with some eyes that are like, I see you, you matter to me, right? The strength of our adult connections and our ability to caretake our own selves, um, whatever self-care may mean for you. And I talk all about self-care in chapter Mm -hmm nine um that matters these are not things to focus on once the kids are all grown and raised and fine we need to be role modeling for our children that adults look after themselves Uh and that adults laugh with adults and that adults watch television shows that are not suitable for children and only happen late at night when the kids are in bed you know remember i remember the sound of my parents they would take me when there was a party down the street You know, all the kids came. The parents were downstairs in the living room, dining room. The kids were upstairs in the family room or the kids' bedroom or the attic. And we could hear our parents laughing with their neighbors and friends. Mm -hmm. And it gave us such a sense of safety. The adults are all right. Yeah. Therefore, we are all right. Yep. Amazing. You know, I think, you know, usually we ask for a your next edit, like something really tangible for listeners to do. Um, but I think you nailed it with the <laughs> with the sort of being kind and acknowledging somebody you care about. So I'm going to just ask you if you have if there's anything crucial that you wanted to touch on that we missed in our episode. I mean, I know there's so much in this book, but if there's anything top of mind. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I guess the last thing I'll say is um, as a black biracial queer human, I am deeply aware that nonfiction often fails to be inclusive. People purport to write books for everybody on some nonfiction subject, yet their language is all about implicitly about a certain category of people we think of as mainstream. And I am subverting that tendency in this book. This book was written intentionally to be inclusive of Uh humans of all genders, sexual orientations, races, ethnicities, religions, education statuses, socioeconomic statuses, mental health statuses, neurodivergent, neurotypical, all of, you know, I'm just in these pages, you will see, I've tried to put all of us on the page. I have not, of course, succeeded at putting everybody there. But this memoir, I mean, this book is part memoir, my stories, part self-help tips, and part profiles of over 30 other people Uh who span the spectrums of life in so many ways. And that is not accidental. It is very deliberate. It's my way of saying we all matter. We all should matter. And in order to really ensure that we do, a book that purports to be about adulting for an entire generation must draw in the stories of all different kinds of people. Mm. So that's an aspect of your turn um, that many people will overlook, but many people are hungry for. I I would agree that I you know I think people will see it. I will I think they will and I appreciate how um 
deeply and thoughtfully and inclusively that you just think about your fellow humans. This is more of what we need in the world if we're going to get through the world. So Julie, thank you so much for, you know, I know running up to a book release is crazy town. So I really (laughs) appreciate you getting on the mic with me today. Oh my goodness. I feel lucky. I'm so glad to be with you and with your listeners. To everyone listening, thanks for spending some time with me today. And like I said, I'm rooting for all of us and delighted to be a part, a small, small part of your journey. Wonderful. Okay, friends, you will find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources we've mentioned, including Julie's books at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, we love chatting with you online. This week, we'd like to know what's something you were able to do at your kid's age that they can't yet do, either because you haven't taught them yet or won't let them. It's time to be vulnerable with Julie. Hop over to facebook.com slash edityourlifeshow and look for the question of the week pinned to the top of the page. Or you can chat with us on Instagram at edityourlifeshow. And as ever, we'd be delighted if you would take a moment to review our show on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.